Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I'm joined by John Reynolds from BrewPlan. John's a 40-year beer industry veteran. He works on new brand launches, setting up distribution networks, and creating a brewery analysis and feasibility study for craft breweries. You can think of this like a business plan on steroids. John subscribes to over 30 industry publications, so he's very well read on current and past events that are shaping the industry. We get into a lot of topics in our conversation today, and I think there's something here for everyone, a lot of great guidance and advice that can be useful and profitable in your brewery. So please enjoy this conversation with John Reynolds from BrewPlan. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm happy to be a guest on your, uh, your, your radio show. Very happy to have you here. So why don't we start with uh, some background on your, on your company. If you could give the listeners, uh, tell them about BrewPlan, your company, how it got started, maybe the genesis, and what type of services you provide. Great. Well, I consider myself to be a, an industry professional with 40 years of background in the beer business, but I learn every day from these craft brewers. They're very, very sharp and extremely innovative. I, I, I find that they their innovation is way beyond what uh, what I was used to when I was coming through the business, um, and I, I marvel at them for how they uh, they go to market and how their branding has really uh, come across to the uh, consumer today. I spent uh, 28 years with the former G. Hammond Brewing Company. Uh, they were a consortium of 30 regional brands across the country with 10 regional breweries, uh, similar kind of to what Anheuser-Busch has done with its Brewers Collective. Um, we were way before our time in terms of the craft beer industry, but I consider many of the brands I worked on, whether it's Old Style, Rainier, uh, Henry Weinhardt's, uh, even some of the small brands out east, uh, Black Label or or National Bow and National Premium, those are all brands that were part of our arsenal. And uh, each one had its own marketing and, uh, if you will, core market area. Um, and uh, very innovative in packaging and so Heilemann was a, a great uh, education for what uh, is happening today. Uh, Heilman even built the Val Blatt's Brewery, a craft brewery in 1984 in Milwaukee to bring back uh, some of the, if you will, authentic German beer styles underneath the Val Blatt's label. Uh, it was draft only, so it never really, really caught fire um, until uh, – after Heilemann had uh, sold it to Line and Kugels. So Line and Kugels put a packaging line in and made it their own little craft brewery. But, you know, kind of the genesis of Brew Plan is that I, uh, I, I saw 
when I left the big company, uh, Stroh bought Heilman and uh, I exited. Um, so many of the craft brewers were jumping in with really great beers, but a lot of them had no marketing or sales expertise. So some of them made it on their beer ratings or their one brand name, or they kind of used it as a catalyst for their old product line, but some didn't. And the ones that didn't sometimes reached out and found people like me in the business um, that had been there or could offer some support, uh, whether it be on the marketing side or sales side. So brew plan kind of came together and I do both sales and marketing type work. Um, as you know, in conjunction with yourself, I also uh, share the podium and teach the class of sales and distribution for the business of craft beer at the University of Vermont and uh, look forward to hopefully getting on board at uh, another college in Puget Sound, uh, Seattle, Washington very shortly. So um, those those people that take that course uh, find uh great applicability and resources in what we offer as instructors. So that's kind of the role of brew plan. I also, I have strategic market research, uh, brand strategy to enter the business, brand identity and branding, distribution strategy and networks, packaging, POS, and feasibility studies with business planning. Those are kind of the services that fall under my bailiwick. Great. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dig into each of those in a bit. I, I wanted to circle back on the uh, Uni University of Vermont course, the business of craft beer. Um, and it certainly does put an emphasis on the business side of for craft breweries, which it, it, it seems folks are really paying a lot more attention to that, not just these days, but I think leading up to it as competition got more fierce, that owners, managers really had to look internally, look at their their business plans, look at their financial structure and really focus on the business aspect of the brewery and certainly, you know, creating great brands and quality and safety. None of that changes. Um, but the emphasis on running the brewery as a business, um, I think is, is kind of come to the forefront more so. And, and I think you're right that that UVM class has, uh, has really helped folks with that information. So tell me uh, for brew plan, the clients that you serve, what's what's sort of the sweet spot? What's an ideal size uh, or where are they at in their business cycle? Uh, do you work with breweries in planning, startups, growth stage? Um, what what seems to fit your the sweet spot for you? I would say the uh, best clients that I've had are mid-size craft brewers that without formal marketing departments make the best clients um, simply because they need they need uh, expertise in certain areas they don't have on hand. They know they can do project work or put uh, a company like ours on retainer, and we're always available to them. Um, with my background in market research and strategic planning, I can go find things for them they can't find. They don't even know they exist. So I drill down into whether it's AC Nielsen or IRI or some of the other reporting structures, whether it's Beer Marketers Insights or even uh, Nielsen out there with uh, consumer research, I find things that they just don't know and, uh, to look for. And so I'm kind of the uncovering department. And uh, hopefully that leads them to niches or, or strategies that they never 
really were ever considered in their boardroom. So I kind of joined them as an asset on the team. And I open up all of my uh, so-called books to them and my research uh, of what I'm thinking and what I'm finding as I go through it. I, I subscribe to uh, probably 30 different industry publications, uh, whether they come in the form of newsletters or um, background research. And, uh, you know, there's just good information out there. Um, and I try and read articles every day, sometimes up to 50 uh, total articles that I just kind of get my my nose around what's uh, what's the most interesting trends. Expanding craft brewers also offer potential for me because they are moving into new markets or they're moving into new uh, retail store sets. Um, and those type of customers um, maybe aren't familiar with the chains or they maybe aren't familiar with the geography or the shopper or how they state laws. There's a lot of different factors when you consider going into new states and some are uncomfortable without having somebody in the business tell them what's going on there. Uh, so I'll do, uh, I'll look forward for them and maybe do two, three states uh, and show them each of those markets on what, who's, who's the dominant players, what's the number one selling two, three, four selling packages, uh, what, uh, what could be a sales forecast that they could realize, uh, sales potential, and possibly uh, some uh, distributor networks they may want to uh, seek out and actually interview. Um, I also find with my business that imported wineries and imported craft brewers make good clients. One of the reasons for that, Carrie, is that they have no resources here in the U.S. Almost all of them come in without anybody uh, feet on the ground. So because of that, I know the state laws in most cases, particularly in the Midwest. I'm based in Wisconsin. So, you know, the answer is I can I can lay out for them a roadmap so they can come into the states. I know people in the that do the compliance side, so they don't have to worry about federal law or state laws. I know people that are importers, so I can help them get started, whether it's coming into customs or filing the right reports just to even think about being here. And then I also know the distributor side, so I set up the pricing to help them with the brewery margin and the distributor margin, retail margins, all built in so nobody wastes their time and nobody uh, doesn't understand what, what the game plan is for all of us to make money. And then I base my fees based on what they currently want me to do. And a lot of times with an imported company, I'll actually go on retainer just simply because they need me all through the, the whole step. So I'd be out there for a year to two years. If we get the business rolling, then I usually turn it over to their own people. They would hire somebody and I would exit. So that's kind of how the import side works. Also, finally, craft spirits companies are starting to emerge as potential customers. So there are some really good spirits makers out there. And, um, you know, that category is hot. So uh, I, uh, I open my doors to people like them as well. Wineries, mm-hmm. wineries too. Oh, it's great stuff. I want to circle back on a couple of points that you made, uh, you know, using data, because uh, I, I get this question a lot is, you know, do you have data on this? Do you have data on that? 
And I feel like sometimes folks are just, they want data for the sake of having the information. They want benchmarks, just it's more of a curiosity factor. But I think what you said, two very interesting things. One is using the data to uncover opportunities that might not even exist. And that might be innovation, different different packaging, perhaps different styles. So I think that's that's great. The other was you had mentioned using that data to develop achievable or reasonable sales plans. I think that's another sticking point, particularly for startup or growth. Well, more so in the planning phase, startup or where they're like, man, I don't, you know, where do I even begin to, de- how do I begin to develop a sales plan? How do I, how would I know? You know, and I have kind of a, a methodology that I've used and I think is reasonably good, but I think using the data that's out there uh, and benchmarking off of that, that's, that's, that's a great use of that information too. Yeah. One thing about uh, forecasting of sales potential, if you look at the IRI or or Nielsen reports, granted, they only cover off premise. But um, if you're trying to launch a can package or a bottle package and you know who your major competitors are, you can formulate what the off premise um, full sales uh, existing sales pool is exactly, you know, scanned, but you can add to that maybe 20% just because on-premise and non-scan stores. So you can get a a total market size. Then if you start working with, you know, shares of market that you think that you possibly can uh, get, maybe you do some backcasting on some of those competitors and go back and see what they did in their first two years or something like that. Or maybe you use Beer Markers Insight State data or the Brewers Association data. You can get to a total picture of what's realistic. And and uh, but those those IRI and sales reports are driven down to a, a local market like a big city or a state. So you can really zero in on what's uh, what's achievable. That's really what uh, those those reports allow you to do from a sales potential size. Mm, yeah, that's great information. Backcasting too. That's that's a, that's a word I don't think I've ever used. I like that. As uh, you to- know, I, I, I use that when I'm going to go into states I don't know. So I go back and I find the major competitor. I go back into the state's reports and see 10 years ago, what'd they do? 12 years ago, what'd they do? And what what's realistic for this guy to do now that there's 50 more breweries in that market, you know? So that's, that's why I use backcasting. Nice. So, you know, we're recording this in mid-July 2020. We're still trying to figure out uh, this COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious how your business has changed since this started and what type of questions or what kind of needs are you hearing from uh, brewery owners these days? Yeah, um, my business has changed. Uh, I would definitely tell you um, part of it is the volume of craft breweries that have opened. Uh, it makes it much more difficult for the startup to get out there. And, and I'm sure in your business, the same same way exists. If you're not established today, you're more than likely going to be tap room only. I mean, just because uh, the distributors are full, uh, the self-distribution angle is starting to heat up where they, the retail buyer is having difficulty with the number of vendors that are servicing their business. Um, so the retail buyer is tending to shy away from adding more brands, even if you're self-distributing. So 
I would tell you that the shelves are full, the coolers are full. They don't need more brands. They need the hot brands. They need the brands that are rocketing next door or the ones that are in the markets below them or above them that are coming to their market. They need those because the consumers seeing those in other markets they travel to. But they don't need the mar- just to, because somebody opens in town. So therefore, my business has changed. I'm I'm expanding more into brewery and branding, um, low and no alcohol products, uh, some private label for chain stores, um, and logo and brand identity type work. Uh, part of that's driven by less business travel. Um, as you know, the COVID-19 has, has impacted everywhere you go, uh, including our markets. So more Zoom meetings with clients, uh, less face-to-face uh, is part of the mantra and the mode today. Some of the questions that the brewers are posing, I, I think, are very, very insightful uh, and really make me think. Uh, and I'm sure they do for you as well. One of them is, how do we expand with 20% of my my accounts closed? I mean, or or 30% or 40%. Uh, you know, that's that's a very tough question. Uh, a lot of it comes down to, uh, well, what type of accounts are closing? You know, I mean, are your big accounts closing or the little guys closing? Or is it chain store accounts? There's a lot of questions on the account base, but a lot of it deals with draft. So, and I don't have that answer because there's not an immediate replacement for draft beer business. So uh, it's not like I have automatic answers to all these questions. How do we replace draft, which is 40 to 60% of our business? How do we survive in the change from on-premise to off-premise? Well, these are the questions that are being posed and the answers are quite different from every question. Um, It comes down to what the brewery resources are. It really comes down to money. Um, if the cash flow is tight, then our company, Brewplan, suggests the employee furlough and the cost reduction mode to hang on while your on-premise slowly returns. Is no other reason for you to go out and waste your money if you don't think you can put it in the, the stores or the, uh, the, the shelf sets tomorrow. So I would tell them to just back off, cut your costs, and survive. That's exactly, it's a survival mode, but you probably can do it because if you get down to family uh, income, whether it's you and your, 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 uh, your family members, that's really the people you got to take care of at the end of the day. It doesn't mean the other people aren't important. I would try and keep them around as long as possible, even if it's just part-time, uh, just to hang on to them. If the cash flow is available and investments can be made, we do suggest an adjustment to their current business model. We tell them, look, if you're in the bottle business and cans are surging and you can afford a can line, even if it's used, go buy a can line. Cans are booming. Cans is where the market is. And even if you're not going to get in the stores, you can sell cans to go out of your brewery, tap room, whatever, and you can do a big business right in your backyard with canned beer. So get in the can business. If you can't afford a can line, hire a mobile canner. If you can't afford a mobile canner, try and knock on your neighbor's brewery and say, can I use your can line for a fee? You know, you'd be surprised how many friends there are in the business. You at Wormtown, I'm sure you've got 20 breweries around you that have can lines. They're not all full. 
They have available line time. All you need to do is ask. One of them is going to say yes. So that's the quickest way to get in. And then the other thing is I, I, I tell them that if you don't want to get a can line, make sure you have crawlers or oil cans or, you know, the oil cans are the 25.4 ounce. If you have those or some sort of, I, I don't care if it's a jug, uh, a growler, a crawler, you need beer to go because people can't spend all their time in your tap room. They want to, but they can't. So then you're going to drink at home. And because of this coronavirus, they're drinking at home more and more and more. You need to be in that business. If you're not in that business, get in that business. That's what we tell them. Then I'd also suggest to you there's a new trend that has emerged during corona that I, I personally did not see as a big, big play, but it's online. It's e-commerce. And the wineries proved it to me. I'm in the wine type business. I consult for wineries. I see it. I never thought it would grow to the ex, uh, exponential way, but companies like Drizzly have really perfected it. They've really pushed it out there, and especially in college towns, but also in major metropolitan cities, uh, Grubhub and all these companies. They're selling alcoholic beverages along with food, and it's becoming a huge business overnight. The breweries need to do their part of it. You need to get in some of those sites like Drizzly and, and Grubhub, but you also need to do your own. You need to have online where legal, where it's legal, you need to have your own e-commerce business and not just selling T-shirts and hats. You need to sell beer. Um, and I would also say that where legal, I encourage my clients to do home delivery. You'd be surprised how many how many of your best customers are five miles or less from the brewery, five miles or less. You can afford to pay somebody to drive over three blocks and drop off beer, especially if it's a kid that doesn't have anything to do for the summer, right? So all they have to do is check IDs and they're, they're, they're in. It's a big business. It's happening. So those are the kind of things I teach my clients, trying to push them into new areas and then I would also say affordability, you want to attack those chains, you hire an experienced chain store manager. You make the investment. If you're a mid-sized craft brewer and you don't have a chain manager, you need one. You need to hire someone that's either worked for a distributor that called on the chains or worked for a major brewer or a winery or a spirits company that knows the buyers. If they know the buyers, they will get you in. That's that personal of a relationship. They've done so many things for those chain buyers over the years. The chain buyers trust their knowledge, trust their input. It's a very good investment for a craft brewer. Mm. Yep. And the whole, that whole, I mean, retail has all of these quirks to it. And certainly the chain aspect of retail can be very involved and complicated. That's probably a whole podcast right there just talking about you know, best practices relative to chain, but well, that, that's good stuff. I, I wanted to pivot and, and ask you about, uh, I think you had mentioned to see opening, it's certainly in your in your website, is the Brewery Analysis and Feasibility Study. Uh, I want you to explain what that is, what it entails, uh, and at what stage is that study most useful for a brewery? Is it at the planning or startup or uh, wh where is that most useful? Yeah, um, 
you know, it's a it's a big part of what I do in that uh, I've written countless business plans and uh, strategic documents, but uh, planning is the best stage for a company to do a feasibility study. It's it's an investment every brewery should make before they deliver a plan to their key investors. They need to know how big is big. And they also need to know go, no go. In other words, should I really do this here, like in this spot, like where there's already 35 craft breweries already existing? What makes me think mine's the best, you know? And I and I, I find that there's a lot of uh, uh, novices in the business. They just don't know. They really don't know. They, they maybe are really good brewers, but they just don't have a clue to the business side of the equation. One of the things I recommend them is to take the business of craft beer course at the University of Vermont. Why not? You know, it doesn't hurt you. It's a, it's a small investment compared to what you'd pay if you started a brewery and failed. Right. So I tell them to do that part, but the, uh, the outline for the feasibility study is very common to other outlines that you'd find on the internet or whatever, but we do an executive summary first, but that's all driven by the points after. In other words, you we write the executive summary after we're done doing the study. But the study includes your business description or products, whether you're going to be a, a beer only, whether you're going to add FMBs, whether you're going to do spirits, wine, tap room only, self-distribution, all of those puzzles fit together into the business description. And it makes a big difference on how your brewery set up, right? Because if you're going to have spirits, you're going to want to be separate from the beer. If you're going to want a tap room, you got to fit that into your, your structure. If you want to do self-distribution, you need a warehouse and trucks and all those great things that you talk about all the time. So I really tell them to do a great uh, analysis of their own business model right up front. What do you really want to do? And if you're thinking about doing something, plan for it. Put it into your equation, even if it's in year two or three. Um, and then I do the industry market analysis, a SWOT, uh, you know, where you, you you figure out what they are good at, strengths, weaknesses, whatever. And then I uncover some niches, some things that they maybe aren't thinking about as part of their business model. I give them a couple of tidbits of what I do in their spot. I literally give them, here's three things that you should consider in your business plan because they're working for others or they're not tapped into, they're untapped, so to speak. And then I do the uh, a customer demographics analysis. If they're in Florida, it's a heck of a lot different than if they're in you know, Metro Detroit. So you, you really have to sift through who's their buyer, how many are there. What's the demographics? Who's what's growing? What's not growing? And income levels are a big factor in craft beer, as you know. So it's it's not that craft beer doesn't sell everywhere, but it might not sell in inner Detroit. It might sell in northern suburb Detroit. You know, so you have to really uh, know where the uh, the demographics are heading. Um, creating a successful business model is is one of the things that I give them. And what what I really generate there is. Are you going to go to market as a brew pub where you have food? Are you going as a tap room only? Are you self-distributing? 
Are you using independent distributors? Are you doing other things, home delivery or, you know, e-commerce? All those great factors fit in to their successful business model. Then I give them a financial plan. I I help them develop a sales forecast. And then I give them what I think are the best pricing strategies to make that work, fit that into a business uh, forecast three to five years out, depending on what they're asking for, and show them at least uh, net contribution below marketing, what what that is going to deliver to them so they can pay some people to be on, on the street. I don't get into all the insurance and uh, debt. And all. I really give them, here's where you can land, and here's how much resources you have available to you f- for marketing and for people. And sales gen- and general administrative expenses come after that. So, um, and then I give them the points of being their management and operations plan that I only sift into that because if they're going to go all out and they have a big, let's say, a, a big investor behind them, they may need bigger equipment. And I sometimes tell them I would never buy new. I There's plenty of used equipment on the market today where you can save hundreds of thousands of dollars by buying used. So that's kind of what I give them in that operations. And then their management is more about who are their team members, where their expertise lies, and what are you missing? What what don't you have in your team that you really need? Whether it's a sales and marketing person, whether it's maybe it's a finance person, maybe it's a uh, human resource person, maybe it's a, uh, you know, you don't have, you got a head brewer, but you don't have four other part-time brewers that you're going to need to brew at night or brew around the weekends. Um, and then uh, maybe it's just a merchandiser. Maybe it's they have everybody else, but they don't have somebody to help them uh, get the beer out, you know, special events, those kind of things. A risk assessment, I always put that in there. I put in current products of the competitors. I uh, usually show them, here's who you're up against. Here's here's what they do well, and here's what, here's what you're going to need to do to beat them. And then uh, critical success factors. These are just some of the things that it might be their market. It might be their their financing. It might be their 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 beer ratings. It, it, there's a lot of success factors that come together. Um, and then finally, my recommendations of go no go. Why are you really going to do this? And if you are going to do this, here's what you need. Here's what you need to think about. So those are kind of the feasibility studies that I go through. And uh, you know they can be a uh, Lengthy if it's a big market or if the company's got data already. In other words, they might have some, well, some of them do it as a planning in the front of. Some don't do this until they've actually been in business one to two years because they realize they should have done it on the front end. And now they're asking you to help them do it on the back end. That it, it, It's the cart before the horse syndrome, but I, I do uh, get some of those. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine that happens that, you know, folks kind of start a, a brewery, start a business, it takes off, they're doing everything they can just to keep up with production, market demand. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, we need to get back to some fundamentals. And then you can go back and kind of tighten up some of these bolts, the things that you had mentioned. That sounds great. That's very comprehensive. You know, I love a lot of the things you had mentioned, the pricing strategy, really thinking about that. You had mentioned earlier, you know, margin analysis. And I, I think that's that's lost on some folks who are new to the industry, new to the business. They know they just, they love beer. They love, um, 
the concept of having a brewery, but haven't maybe thought through how pricing works, how margin works, how everybody's got to make money at each tier. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot of great stuff there. Thanks for, for going through that. I wanted to shift to um, working with wholesalers um, and setting up distribution networks. I think certainly in this time with so much business off premise, you know, that relationship with the wholesaler, brewery to wholesaler, assuming you're using an, a third party wholesaler, critically important uh, to continue to you know deliver the beer, merchandise it, uh, make the market, and so forth. So setting up these networks, you know, they can be complicated. So how do you advise breweries to go about that process? You know, what are some questions? they should ask what kind of research and what are things generally they should know about or, or be aware of? Yeah, I, I think there's two different types of wholesaler uh, needs, if you will, from a, from a brewer's perspective, let's take the, the, the small guy first, only because a lot of who's happening today are tap rooms and they want to get outside their four walls. So this is, I would just tell them this, I recommend start small. Start small in your backyard. You prove to yourself that you can take the product to market in, let's say, 15 to 20 accounts. If you win in those 15 to 20 accounts, I don't care if it's draft beer only, and you're starting to sell two, three kegs a week in some of those places, that's a win. Okay, because of the volume of tap lines and because of the number of beers out there, you have to make some sales traction in those accounts before you would step into a much larger business size. Um, you can hire your own people to deliver. You could hire uh, a beer wholesaler to just target those 15 to 20 accounts. The answer is you make that decision, self-distribution versus um, getting with a wholesaler. The minute you step with the wholesaler, you give up the margin, but you don't have to hire the resources, right? The people. So I would tell you that I would self-distribute first. If it's only 15 accounts, because you could handle that. You could handle that with one of your salespeople or two. And, uh, you know, it, it's delivering kegs. You're dealing, dealing with six barrels mostly. So I would say do that first. Once you have that, you can expand to contiguous markets, whether that's a metropolitan city you're in, whether that's a county, whether it's three counties, you can start taking on more business. Um, you don't want to overextend your team inside whether you're working nights and weekends to do that. But, you know, kegs is pretty simple. It's when you start adding all the packages and SKUs, whether it's six packs, 12 packs, 18 packs, whatever, you can do whatever you have the packaging capabilities, um, you can do that. I would tell you there's this overzealous uh, um, brewer that says, uh, my beer's the best, I can go anywhere, Everybody wants my beer. They're calling the brewery for it. Uh, I would tell you, don't jump over a state just for the next straight load. That's too many people have seen that done. And what happens is more than likely that beer that went to the new market is going to get old six months from now. It's going to be sitting on the shelf or it's going to be sitting in the warehouse of that brewer, that distributor. That's not good for you or the distributor or the brand. It ruins everything for what you strived in your backyard to be. And I would tell you, go to contiguous markets only until you develop them before you extend to that new state. Uh, I would also tell the 
middle-sized company to hire a sales manager. Build around your core market, your core SKUs. Uh, don't try and take eight SKUs to the market. Three or four is max today. Uh, two, two would be really, really good. I'm sure at Wormtown you have your own challenges with how many SKUs they'll take. So you know, not the the, the chain store or the the let's say the large craft beer market store or even the the craft beer uh, on premise that are open. They don't want for your brands they want one or two that are going to make sense and they're going to turn i would also say that they need to give them the margin uh you know i i am a believer in everybody should make money in this business the retailer should get their margin the wholesaler should get their margin and the brewer should make the margin so you know i know you have guidelines on that when you when you do your consulting i i would just say in most markets not necessarily where it's four tier but three tier 25% is norm for retailer, 30% for for the uh, distributor. And, and you know, maybe, it, maybe it's 15 to 20% for the brewer. It might be more depending on the brand and depending on the price point. But those are kind of benchmarks that we do. And then we strive to be different. I You know, expand your online business, your e-commerce, grow products in niche segments, innovate new beer styles, watch what other beverage segments are doing. That's That's the NA piece. That's the piece that a lot of brewers don't get. You can make a lot of money in water, right? You can make a lot of money in energy drinks. You can make a lot of money in uh, coffee. You can make a lot. I mean, you have a brewer that's in your state uh, night shift that is doing a fabulous job of picking niches, right? They're picking little spots. They're opening up new breweries. They're going into here and there. That's the kind of thing that, Innovation is what is going to drive the craft brewer for tomorrow's business. So unique ingredients, I mean, finding the new hop, right, internationally, or finding the new ingredient that nobody's using, uh, doing multiple test batches. Q and QA is the most important, but innovation. I, I, I see Dogfish Head do it all the time. They're constantly throwing things in their brewing kettles that nobody even thinks will make a good beer. Well, how do you know unless you try it, right? So I give them a lot of credit for coming up with what's new and what's different and how to get there. And then targeting that new different age group, ethnic group, and even females. I mean, how many beers should be driving to new audiences? And everybody seems to be experimenting. So when you develop these innovative beer styles, try one on a new audience. Try it on a different age group. Try it on a, a different ethnicity. You know, it's it's amazing what that does. And there's some classic case studies out there, as you know, um, and I don't have to get into those. But it's all about controlling your brand, making it ap applicable to new audiences, and coming up with the new design, whether it's a package uh, new ingredient, new hop, whatever, tomorrow's business. It's all about that. Mm, that's great. I feel like I should give you an amen on that. <laughs> <laughs> so much good stuff there. I, I'll just circle back to a couple of points you made. And I'm going to I'm gonna probably just bullet point these for folks in the show notes because a really, really good instruction and guidance here. But relative to working uh, in a distribution network and say you're with a wholesaler, uh, there, there's lots of key points. I think two uh, that are that you mentioned that I want to underscore 
that I personally believe are extremely important. You need to get the question a lot is like, how do I get my wholesaler to sell my brands, to pay attention to my brands and so forth? Um, number one, you got to recognize what the wholesaler, what's going to make the wholesaler successful. And you had mentioned having a few SKUs, three or four, two is better. Totally agree. Because uh, wholesalers, they, I mean, they're overwhelmed with, make it easy for them. That's one. Two is you got to give them the margin. And I think a lot of times coming in breweries are very, hesitant to or loath to, you know, why am I giving up that money? You know, what am I getting for that? Well, you're going to get focus on your brand. You're going to get uh, that leverage uh, you're, and you're going to increase sales effectively. So it, it, lots of good things, but certainly the fewer number of SKUs, the better and giving them the margins because uh, ultimately they're going to sell what sells, you know, they're in business to make money too. Uh, so it's very, that's mutually beneficial. I wanted to uh, finish with just a final question relative to uh, working with uh, distributors and the, the whole relationship side of the business. Um, are there some thir- certain things that you uh, advise craft breweries to do relative to developing relationships uh, with craft beer wholesalers? Are there certain things they should do and maybe some that are obvious or maybe some not so obvious things? Yes, uh, there are. Uh, you just mentioned a few of the things the wholesaler does for a craft brewer and realizing the craft brewers are usually strapped because they're building their next beer kettle or their next expansion for, uh, you know, more capacity. So knowing that the wholesalers oftentimes take on a tremendous share of the burden financially to get a brand off the ground. And as you point out, they're not going to sell everything. They're going to sell the ones that sell. They're going to sell the ones that really turn boxes in their in their warehouse. And they're very sophisticated today. They have better uh, information systems than more, most of the retailers do. They also have better resources than most of the brewers do, except for Anheuser-Busch and Miller. So they can tell you what's going on before you can tell them. Uh, but wholesalers can provide some great things. One, information resources. They can provide sales resources. They can provide feet on the street. They can provide chain store distribution. They can provide marketing and POS support with their sign makers, which are a huge, huge um, investment piece for the craft brewer to have because more than likely the larger brewer, Bud Miller, paid for those sign makers. So you're getting away with murder there to uh, use them. Sponsorships in the market, beer festival support, truck van decals, new product guidance. They always come up with, hey, you guys should be doing this or you should invent this type of product because it's really booming over here. Or this is a, this is the new hot, hot, uh, you know, tamale that everybody should be jumping in on. And then social media, they all have Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and all the great things that Instagram to post all these great pictures that show your brand in colorful lights. And you may have those too, but their reach is bigger. Their reach is way bigger. I would also say that relationship building takes time. And you mentioned a word before that really comes to mind for me, and it's called trust. The wholesaler needs to trust you. And they won't trust you until you do a few things on your own. One, you need to buy in right away that this is a two-way street. It's a partnership. It also is a marriage. In most places, you can't get out of the wholesaler once you're in it. You're you're there for a long, long time, if not life. So get used to it. Start helping them. And then do these things. 
One, you earn it when you make sales calls in their market. If you go into their market with or without their people, with or without, and I would tell you without means a lot more than with. And as long as you don't throw it in their face and say, I did this for you, you're going to get their support right away. So sales calls, feet on the street, your people making calls to not only the on-premise, but the off, going to the off-premise and just meeting the managers, just talking up your brand, telling them what's new at the brewery, telling them what uh, what's selling, telling them about a new package idea you had and bouncing ideas and getting their input. A lot of that is two-way street stuff. And the retailer loves it because, number one, they're talking to the brewery rep, but number two, they're getting their opinion heard. That is a huge win for you. So you conduct ride with. If you go into their market and you help their salespeople earn a bonus or earn a paycheck, you've just inked your deal for the long term. Now, ride with can be overdone and you can ask for too many and you can ask for too much in one time frame. So gauge it by what the sales manager is telling you. If you're doing the right things, then he'll put you with the right people. He'll, he'll get you in the right spots. Attending the beer festivals. I can't tell you how many brewery reps or beer brewmasters or what that does for the wholesaler. He wants those people with knowledge in behind those tables or behind those booths. Those are the people that the, the consumer wants to interact with. They don't want to talk to the wholesaler. They want to talk to the brewer. They want to talk to the sales guy. They want to talk to anybody else other than the, the wholesaler. And then I would tell you um, communicating with annual business plans, your ABP process, brand release planning, planning calendars, price changes, new products, brewery expansion, anything you got that's hot. And the final thing I'll land on is invite your wholesaler to your brewery. Make sure your brewery is hosting some of their sales meetings, educating the retail buyers that make big decisions in your market. You know, it, you don't have to have the sports tickets and taking them to a fancy box, bringing them over Setting them down and having the new five products you just came up with and a meal will get most buyers to love you. They will they will embrace your product and say, thank you very much for bringing me over and teaching me what the Wormtown Brewery is all about. I mean, if you don't do that, you're making a huge mistake. That's that's your number one selling asset. And make sure your brewmaster is available, too, because they want to see that guy. They want to know who's making that beer. They want to know what he does or she does that's special that makes your beer rock. So make the distributor comfortable with a team approach and join him. Find time. I love it when owners of the brewery, the top guy, this president of the brewery, walks out in the market and says, I'm available for sales calls today. I'm like, rock on. That is perfect because you just all you'll do is excite that sales guy in the market because you have a big wig in his car it's a huge thing don't think don't forget it mm, that's great great stuff and uh we're definitely if you're up for it we're gonna have to do a round two because i think there's a lot more to dig into but for now i think that's that's given folks a lot of great information and great guidance so i thank you for that john um if people want to get in touch with you, maybe learn more about you, your company, the services you provide, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say brewplan.com is my website. Um, I also have a brewplan Facebook page. It doesn't have a lot on it, but at least they can get to me. 
my email address is on the website, brewplanmarketing at gmail.com. Uh, my contact information, cell phone, everything's on the website. Uh, I, I appreciate, Carrie, the time that you took to interview me. And uh, I consider you as one of the most respected brewery financial professionals in the business today. And I enjoy your company on the business of craft beer course as well. And your insights, uh, we're, we're, we're hope to hope I'll have a lot of these breweries make money in the future. I, absolutely. And thank you, John. I've learned a lot in this talk and I've learned a lot from you during uh, the courses we've done together. So I, I appreciate what you're, what you're sharing with the uh, craft brewery industry as well. So, all right. Until next time. Thank you very much. You have a great day, Kerry. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.